A storm is coming, and it will change your dreary Kansas land from its 1938 sepia tones into a magical world with a yellow brick road, plus little people and urban studio legends and a famously wicked western witch. From movies to musicals to the original books by L. Frank Baum, today we explore The Wizard of Oz. What are the wonderful things he does? And why has this older fantasy series captured the imaginations of so many fans, including Zack's own sister, Nicole? Welcome back to Fantastical Truth, the shining emerald city of a podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven and the co-author of another book called The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell from the South, and this is episode 182, How Does the Wizard of Oz Teach Wisdom, Love, and Courage? I'm better known as the brother of Nicole, and this is her favorite fandom. So we are going to dive into that as a um, kind of a tribute to her. She passed away September 3rd, uh, 2023, and this was her lifelong passion. I was at uh, Nicole's memorial service, and I will say it's the first memorial service I've attended where there was a Wizard of Oz decor. Now, Nicole, as I understand, had a lot of different fandoms. Uh, she even had, I think, a G.I. Joe lunchbox there. And- yeah. She was into the space fandom and just had all these different enjoyments uh, when she lived. And yet the Wizard of Oz seems to have risen to the top. And I find this fascinating because it is an older franchise. Like it's not really a current IP, you know, it's uh, it's not the superhero movies. But in, you know, the late 1930s and early 40s, like this was the Marvel Cinematic Universe of its time and everybody couldn't get enough of the Wizard of Oz. And so it's fun just to look back, not just on this story, but just on the idea of finding virtues in a more classic fantasy, uh, something that's older and frankly, a little bit ahead of its time. Well, it's funny you should say both those words, Marvel and fantasy, because I'm holding in my hands the wonderful Wizard of Oz graphic novel adaptation by Marvel. And in the uh, forward of the story, they make a point about how the wizard of Oz was really the first contemporary fantasy in America. So the wizard of Oz was written in 1900 and there's been a total of 14 books, but when this book came out, there wasn't anything really like it. That was fantastical that was set in America with original characters before this, all the fantasy that uh, Americans enjoyed were, kind of borrowed from the the British Isles, you know, the elves and, and dwarves and all that kind of stuff. So that was part of why I think this took off so much. And also it's because of the way that L. Frank Baum even pinned the books. He originally just was telling these stories to his kids. His, he had four boys. And finally his, his wife said, you need to write all these down. <laughs> and so she was a big help and encouragement to him to do that. And, and then the rest is history. How many authors, uh, male authors anyway, have written their stories down and then made a mint from them because their wives recognize something in them that they did not see themselves? I see. I find that highly encouraging. Then maybe some of y'all out there might uh, find that highly encouraging as well. Uh, Speaking of L. Frank Baum, that's the subject of our top sponsor, Oasis Family Media, which has a lot of content about L. Frank Baum. Isn't it time you discovered the fantasy worlds of America's most beloved storyteller? If you haven't ventured into Oz yet, click your heels together three times and adjust your headset for Oz and Beyond, the fantasy worlds of L. Frank Baum by Michael O'Reilly in audio. In this book, the author examines in detail Baum's many fantastical tales, including The Wizard of Oz, 
the 13 sequels he wrote about that magical kingdom and his many others, as well as his evolution as a fantasy writer, illuminating in the process his philosophy concerning nature, civilization, and industrialization. Oasis Audio presents Oz and Beyond, the fantasy worlds of L. Frank Baum by Michael O'Reilly, a scholarly yet whimsical audiobook narrated by the incomparable Charles Constant, available on CD from Amazon, in digital format on Audible, Spotify, and through libraries everywhere. And Oasis Audio is an imprint of Oasis Family Media, LLC. We'll put an audio sample in the show notes, and you can get all information about this and our other sponsors at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Zach, I'm feeling a little hungry uh, going off to a fantasy world in a whirling tornado or however it was in the original books. I'm guessing I'm just familiar with the movie version. And so I will reveal myself uh, to be a very casual uh, fan at best. I'm actually kind of agnostic about this fandom. But what are some concessions that we should snack on before we get started? Yeah, well, like I said, there are 14 books in the Wizard of Oz series. And we're, you know, I have only scratched the surface of this. So recently in the bookstore, I found a really nice copy of it's sort of the omnibus. And it has six of the 14 stories. Of course, it's got the first one that we're all familiar with. And then it's got The Marvelous Land of Oz, Ozma of Oz, Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz. The Road to Oz and the Emerald City of Oz. And you know, there's eight other ones. And unlike Nicole, this is the first time I've owned a Wizard of Oz book. I just got this recently. Um, if you look on our episode page for this podcast, you'll see a bookshelf with uh, these kind of vintage copies of each of these individual books from the series. Nicole had at least three sets of these from different eras. I- I'm sure they're, they're very valuable. Uh, this one I bought was a more recent printing, and it's uh, it's it's a cool book and all, but she's got the the really cool illustrations on it. So I'm just now getting to this fandom. So to you, our listener, if if you know a lot about these books, please forgive my ignorance of this. I'm I'm just now getting it. My my fandom growing up with Nicole was Star Wars. We had some shared fandoms like Princess Bride. So I'm I'm trying to learn everything I can about not only the books but the author, L. Frank Baum had a very interesting past before penning these books. He tried his hand in a number of different businesses and was successful at some and failed at others. He wasn't, there's kind of this urban legend that I'd heard that he was sort of a failure at everything until he became an author. And that's, you know, I, I think a lot of authors probably romanticize that. Yeah. We kind like that kind of story. It's, yeah. <laughs> a, it's a very American dream, uh, rags to riches uh, type. Right. Shake. Right. But no, he, he was successful at a number of different things. Uh, he tried, but uh, the, the books were where, where he truly took off and became a household name. Um, now, as far as I know, he was not a Christian, or at least not a professing or an active Christian, or he wasn't known by that. From what I've read, he was more into things like theosophy, which, uh, I, again, I don't know a ton about that, but it's, it's more mysticism, uh, humanism, that kind of thing. And, and there are some themes uh, to, of that in the story. We might touch on a little bit. If you listen to this podcast before, you know that we don't choose books just to deconstruct them or critique them or criticize them. We try to find things that we celebrate. Yes, we, we discern things in books that maybe don't line up with biblical truth, but we mostly try to focus on things that do line up with biblical truth. So we will definitely find some of those themes in there. Now, however, <laughs> this is not a find the gospel in the Wizard of Oz, find the Jesus figure, the Holy Spirit figure the Satan figure or whatever. Oh, I was going to start a whole <laughs> series of books about that. I was going to build an entire little ministry platform, the gospel, according <laughs> to L Frank Baum. Oh, that may actually yeah. be a book title. Hey, you know, oh, sure no shade is. on whoever wrote that book. No shade on them. <laughs> we love you. 
Yeah. And so we, we don't really do that on this podcast. We, we don't try to shoehorn things in. At the same time, we recognize that we live in the world God created. So even creators that aren't consciously creating stories to reflect biblical truth, they can't help but do it. I like how Sarah Ella said on a previous uh, episode that we had her on, uh, episode 180, she just brilliantly said, stories either reflect Christ or our need for Christ. Stories can't help but do that. And, and sometimes it's unconscious, sometimes it's conscious. I think there is a very profound connection between the ruby slippers and some biblical truth that we will talk about later. And it's not what you think, it being red in the blood of Christ. Okay, I've, I've heard that one. I, I think there's a deeper truth than that we'll get into as, as we go through this episode. Well, we're going to focus on three virtues that should be accessible to everybody who's at least seen the old Wizard of Oz movie from MGM at least once. Uh, that is those of the Scarecrow, uh, the Tin Man, and the Cowardly Lion. I'm going to ask you first, Zach, uh, how, as far as you can tell, do the Wizard of Oz stories endorse uh, what we might call a sound mind or uh, the brain that the Scarecrow goes on a quest to receive from the wizard? Well, um, I'm going to start off talking about Nicole. Uh, because this is, uh, you know, like I said, this, these books captured her imagination from a very early age and it really instilled in her a love of reading. And so when I was a kid, I, I was her older brother. And so I was always trying to keep her in line. And so w- one thing I shared at her memorial service was whenever we said family prayers, I would make sure that she had her eyes closed during the prayer. Now, how did I do that with my eyes closed? Well, that's a trade secret of older brothers. You're just a little hypocrite, (laughs) weren't you? Uh, But the other thing that I would always check on is that she was going to bed on time because I had to go to bed on time. And I would go open the door to her room and find her kind of, uh, she kind of slid over the side of her bed and read by the nightlight next to her bed by the wall. And so Nicole was up every night reading books. Um, She wanted to develop her mind. And so she was always studying things. It wasn't just um, fantasy books. She was studying different languages. My, and I just learned this, my cousin shared at the graveside burial that Nicole was doing this app with her called uh, Duolingo, where it's sort of like a game that you play learning different languages. And even up until like, so Nicole passed away from brain cancer this year. Okay. So to give you an idea, she was still competing with my cousin Natalie in this Duolingo app this year and was wow. in the, one of the top tiers of this game. And so she was learning French, American Sign Language, Russian. Uh, we both grew up learning Spanish. And uh, I think there was one other one. I don't even remember. Nicole loved in any way to develop her mind. And, and this was significant not just because of the recent battle with cancer, but her whole life she battled with Wilson's disease. And I'll I'll get into that a little bit later. She didn't let that hold her back. She graduated from high school on time, even though she had to do the the homebound program uh, because she became ill in in high school. Um, She wanted to, like you said, Stephen, she was a fan of all things space and NASA. She wanted to be the first female astronaut to land on the moon. She saw the importance of developing your mind. And, you know, I I love that in the story, the scarecrow, that's his number one goal. He's like, I, I got to get a brain. And then there's this, I'm going to bungle this line, but he said, there's, there's plenty of people that speak without having a brain. Um, (laughs) 
And, you know, this was before social media, folks, like the Scarecrow. This was before certain political debates uh, that I may have watched uh, just in this past week. (laughs) Yes. And so I I think it it really goes to this human instinct that you should have something to say. You, You should have something important on your mind that you want to express. We will talk about biblical truth here, which is Matthew 22, 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Stephen, I, I was a, a young Christian in college. I'd become a Christian in high school. I went to college for an engineering program, and I was at a, you know, a school with a lot of other engineering students. And our uh, college pastor would talk about this verse a lot, that you know, you're here at college to love God with all your mind. So we, we don't want you to be a SCOPRO for Jesus, was the phrase he would use, a, a sc- on scholastic probation which is when your GPA falls below 2.0 because you're so busy with heavenly things that you have no care for earthly things. Now, <laughs> he said that not knowing that I was actually on scholastic probation and not because of uh, so spiritual, but because I was just goofing off my first semester of college because, hey, freedom, you can play as much video games as you want all the time. My pastor in college just very wisely saw that, that a lot of students we get so into to church and Bible study and evangelism and fellowship and worship and all great things, but they would neglect the reason they were there at college, which was to love the Lord your God with all your mind by developing you know, your, your intelligence and your wisdom and your knowledge through school. And so he would constantly talk about this, that you're loving God by going to class. You're loving God by doing your homework. And of course, that's kind of like, wah, wah. You don't really want to hear that. You want to go conquer the world when you're in college and conquer the campus for Jesus, change the world. But I really, over time, got to see what he's talking about because who do people respect in the class? They respect the students that are hardworking, that know what they're talking about, that lead the projects, that help others. Those are the students that get the audience. And I you know, very much want to brag on one of my classmates, uh, David Showalter. He he and I both went into ministry after college, but David was really known in our engineering classes as, as the guy that knew what he was talking about. And another student was Dana. She was like the director or the president of one of our engineering societies. Both strong believers, uh, both very hardworking in class and very much had the respect of other classmates. And so you can't go wrong with developing your mind. And the Scarecrow knew that. And so did Nicole. And that's wonderful to hear uh, that even there at the end, just within the last year or so, uh, she was training in these languages and being competitive about that. That just, uh, that is inspiring to me because it shows a desire to fight for life, to fight for humanity, to fight for, in this case, uh, having a sound mind, even in the midst of such suffering. And I know that it's been really hard with you guys kind of seeing the end draw near and um, and then having to deal with that grief. But it's also a great comfort to know uh, not just this about her, but also to know how uh, the uh, the virtues in The Wizard of Oz and just the, the wonders of that story uh, helped to inspire her throughout her life. You, faithful reader, may also have stories that have inspired you in your life. And if so, I know where you can go to talk about them. And it's the Lorehaven Guild. The Lorehaven Guild is our castle in the cloud. It's a Discord community that you can access only by subscribing free at Lorehaven. If you go to lorehaven.com, enter your email address, and then there you go. We send you the code to get in, and then you can not only talk with other listeners of this podcast and readers of Lorehaven, but folks who love Christian-made fantastical stories and any fantastical story, good ones anyway, where you can find them. We also do monthly book quests. 
our book quest leaders find one of the best Christian-made fantastical novels that we know, and then we spend the whole month going through it. And our upcoming book quest already started actually this week is for Koenig's Fire, an out-of-print book by Mark Schooley about a man who is summoned uh, to help the Nazis uh, at a prison camp in the woods uh, where some mysterious enemy in the forest is rising up against these evildoers. It's an amazing story. It is a spooky story. And unfortunately, it is an out-of-print story. So I want to sell this book to you, but you probably can't get it right now. We had to go through a back channel to get copies uh, for our book club participants. But you can still follow along with the amazing discussion at the Lorehaven Guild and then wait for other great book quests that we have coming up. One new book quest every month. Uh, go subscribe at lorehaven.com slash subscribe. All right, Zach, we love great stories wherever we find them, especially Christian-made ones. So chapter two for you, a question, how do the Wizard of Oz stories now also endorse healthy love, like the heart that the Tin Man wants to collect? Yeah, there's this great quote by the Tin Man where he says, I shall take the heart, for brains do not make one happy, and happiness is the best thing in the world. And later on in the story, there's um, a great quote by the wizard when they meet him in the Emerald City, and he says, a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. You know, I've always been a little puzzled by that quote, to be honest, but I, I think really, I get it. I think I yeah. get it. I, I, I'd, put it, I'd put it in a cross stitch. I'd put it on a cross stitch. Yeah, I, I guess because I've always heard the quote in sort of like ministry and evangelism circles, like people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. In other words, it, it's like how Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, it, it really doesn't matter what your spiritual gifts are and how awesome you are in your ministry. If you don't love people, like it, it really doesn't matter. If you don't, if you don't love God, if you're just uh, getting knowledge to puff yourself up, but you don't have love, it, you're just in, you know, a clanging gong. No one gets the gong out during worship services, in case you haven't noticed. Uh, they don't even really get the triangle out. They 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 get out the the more musical kinds of instruments and uh as my pastor likes to says you know we we don't even really get the tambourine out very much because <laughs> this is a total side trail he says if you look in the bible it says they had their musical instruments and their tambourines so anyway, wow wow well that's a diss on our charismatic <laughs> brothers and sisters who likes tambourines there's some tambourines in my wife's past there so <laughs> don't knock it till you've whacked it yeah yeah so uh you know, or, or like we don't get out the cowbell, you know, even though the guy says more cowbell, it's just a clanging sound, right? In any of these instruments, it, it doesn't make musical notes. It just makes a one note kind of thing is my point, just like a gong, like Paul says. And so that is how someone is if they don't have love. They, they can be the most persuasive and intelligent and um, knowledgeable person there is, but if they don't love the people they're talking to, yeah, man, that's a real turnoff. And I think we've all seen things like that. And frankly, that's what I, I think is going wrong with a lot of movies nowadays and even modern books is they are written out of a hatred for certain people. Uh, they're written out of a disdain for the original fans of the movie that's now being remade or retold. There's not love for the fans of a lot of things that are being created. But, you know, this quote about a heart is not judged by how much you love. So it's not even just about how much you love, but how much you are loved by others. Well, people love you in response to your love for them, right? And this is something that we really saw at Nicole's funeral. There were, I don't know, 200, 250 people there, uh, several dozen at, at the burial, which was in another city. So many people expressed their love for hundreds of comments on social media. And so 
I it's like I even saw for the first time, Stephen, how much Nicole really lived out this this character of the Tin Man and loving others. And um she had so many different friends from so many different walks of life. And like I said, I, I became a Christian in middle of high school. For Nicole, uh stepping into faith happened much later. In fact, it only just happened earlier this year. You know, Nicole and I stayed very close this whole time and she was close friends with very different people. She she had the whole spectrum of of different kinds of friends that she was very loving towards and she also loved animals so much that she became a vegetarian. In fact, this was a ongoing joke between us because of a Simpsons episode where Lisa Simpson becomes a vegetarian. And then she really poured herself into all the different ventures that she went to. She she was a volunteer for a while with this group where they dress up as Scooby-Doo characters and ride around in an actual mystery machine that looked exactly like it. And they would go to children's hospitals and try to cheer kids up that were there for cancer. Uh, Nicole loved other friends that were going through cancer. She shaved her head for one of her uh, friends from childhood that uh, went through cancer as an adult. You know, that was what Nicole was known for. And that's what people had all kinds of stories about that at her funeral, uh, several different friends and neighborhood moms spoke about just the impact that she made on them. Zach, why do you think Nicole loved particularly the Wizard of Oz stories so much, uh, especially when she has so many other fandoms and love for animals and all of this? Like, What do you think was it about these stories uh, that had her resonate so much with them? I think a lot of this comes down to the lyrics for Somewhere Over the Rainbow, which, you know, is in the movie, obviously not in the books, but in the 1939 movie that Judy Garland sings. When you really look at the lyrics, I mean, it's very much a longing for hope. Somewhere over the rainbow, way up high, there's a land that I heard of once in a lullaby. Skies are blue and the dreams that you dare to dream really do come true. I'll wish upon a star and wake up where the clouds are far behind me. Uh, where troubles melt like lemon drops, uh, way above the chimney tops, that's where you'll find me. That song really expressed the hope that Nicole had that there would be a better tomorrow. This was, you know, a hope that she hung on to against all odds, uh, because as I said, she had Wilson's disease, which is an incurable liver disorder, and it's where your liver cannot flush copper out of your body. Copper is something that you get in a lot of different foods. And Nicole knew that there was no cure for this, and even the Medications that were available were not very effective and, and wouldn't even work for her. But she hung on to this hope that there was something better over the horizon. There was an Emerald City. There was a way to get back home where, where things are just better. And, you know, and that's kind of the interesting thing about the story, right, is that Dorothy wishes for somewhere else to go. And in fact, um, you, you know how in the movie it starts off with her in Kansas and it's all in black and white. And then it goes into the land of Oz and everything's in color. And side note, she originally did not have ruby slippers in the book. They were silver slippers, but those did not show up very well on screen. And so they changed them to ruby red, but that became iconic because this was one of the first color movies and, you know, all in technicolor. And, you know, those original ruby slippers are on sale for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we actually have this picture of Nicole as, I don't know, maybe a five or six year old little girl. We went to see the actual Ruby slippers in this like glass case. Like they keep, you know, the queen's jewels and uh, the tower of London. And she's just staring at it. Like, can I please have this? <laughs> it's just kind of funny that they had to change that. But I, I always thought Stephen, 
that that was just a choice in film to go from black and white to color. Well, as it turns out, you read the book, the very first chapter in the book, L. Frank Baum describes Dorothy's existence in Kansas is in black and white grayscale terms. Like everything is faded. There's no color. Her Aunt M is just wrinkled. Her hair's gray. Uncle Henry never smiles. He just works really hard. The paint on the house is is kind of been washed away by the weather. And so there there is no color. There's no brightness in it. And it says clearly that Dorothy was an orphan. You know, in the movie, it hints at that. And so she has this very bleak existence. And in the prairie, there's no one around them. You know, the, the fascinating thing is that she dreams of this land far away. But then what does she dream of once she gets there? She dreams of going home, that there's no place like home. I think that's because we instinctively know that home is where safety is or should be. It's, it's where love is. It's where we develop, of course, as, as children into adults. It's where we learn how to fight different battles. You know, there, there's some things I don't want to necessarily go into, but we had to conquer a lot of things as young children. So we, I'll just say, you know, we, we grew up with most of our lives with the single mom. And that wasn't really a, a great choice, but it was kind of the best of the bad options, basically. You know, she and I both dreamed of a home that was different than, than what we were experiencing, a, a home life that was, it was more secure, I'll say. But Stephen, I've realized in, as an adult that I love a very similar type of story, just in a sci-fi version, which is Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> they, they get flung on the ship to the outer reaches of the galaxy, and they're trying to get back from the Delta Quadrant to the Alpha Quadrant. And you know, they're, they're told at the beginning, it'll take 75 years at, at maximum warp, so we'll all be dead by the time the ship gets there. It's basically a colony ship now. And, but that's what is the most important thing to them is to get home. And I think we all have that longing for home in Hebrews. It talks about how we long for a better country, uh, how our citizenship is in heaven. And, And we instinctively know as believers that the world we're living in now is not our eternal home in, in at least in its current form. Yes. When Jesus comes back, he will, he will bring us back to this planet, but it'll be totally different. And so we, we do have this longing for a different, better home than where we are now. And so I, I think Nicole really resonated with that theme. And, and so did I, just to, I said in, in a science fictional form. I think only in the gospel, only in biblical Christianity, can you find a solution to those two paradoxal longings. I want to be somewhere else and I want to go home. That is, I want to stay where I am, only have it somehow be transformed to be redeemed with all the suffering and death uh, and abuse and sin purged out of it. The end of the book of Revelation, similar to many other promises throughout Scripture, you see that happen. Revelation 21, a shining golden city, as not just uh, you know on a painted backdrop uh, in a 1939 uh, MGM movie, the shining true golden city, metaphorical, literal, whatever, comes down to earth, uh, prepared as a bride for her husband, and now the dwelling of God is with man. Both of those fighting desires now are reconciled uh, in the resurrection and the renewal of all creation. So I think anytime anyone feels that hope, whether it's in a classic song, a classic movie, or a new movie, fantasy, sci-fi, book, whatever, you should follow that desire to its fulfillment. Don't just sit there and think how poetic it is and you know what a broken tragedy that is and enjoy the, the great vibes, which are ultimately hollow if death is the end for us. Uh, pursue that desire to its origin. 
Find the Lord and Savior who has given you that desire, as the scripture says, has set eternity in people's hearts, uh, and then repent and find fulfillment in him. Uh, that's the only way you'll be able to get to that kind of love uh, for home, but also adventure in some out there fantasy world. It takes discernment uh, to get through The Wizard of Oz or any of these other stories that have good longings mixed in with idolatrous substitutes. And our third sponsor might help you sort through those in our messy world. And it is, again, the pop culture parent, that nonfiction book that I helped write along with Ted Turneau and Dr. Jared Moore, available from New Growth Press. Uh, this is intended for parents to look at the movies and games and stories and songs and apps and all the mess that's going on in our world and ask not just how can we get that stuff out of here, but ask what is it for? Why has God given people the ability to make these kinds of things? And now how can I find the common grace in those things, contrast it with the idols, and then bring in Jesus as the solution for those good longings who also subverts the idols? You can enjoy that process for yourself in this extremely handy practical book. And then also train your kids to start thinking along those same patterns because they will be in the world of messy popular culture, uh, including The Wizard of Oz. That's the pop culture parent uh, that's available from New Growth Press. And of course, we'll have that link in the show notes. So Zach, I should have mentioned this at the beginning that we'll save the controversial one for the end because a lot of people recoil when you say the word power. They can only think about the negative version of that abusive power. And yet we see the cowardly lion who is pursuing a better kind of power because he recognizes a shortcoming in himself. So how do the Wizard of Oz stories, uh, and including Nicole's life, how did these show us courageous power? Yeah, well, I'm going to do something a little different from this section. I'm going to start with a quote from C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters, where he says, quote, Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point which means at the point of highest reality, end quote. So I, I love this thought. And I, I've seen this quote go around so much in this, the past couple of years because we are facing so much cultural upheaval where to stand strong in your faith, to resist certain cultural fads, um, it takes a lot of courage to, just to say no. You know, and uh, Rod Dreher in Live Not By Lies talks about this, that you know, sometimes all you have to do to resist something is just to say no, or at least just not to repeat it. Um, and th this is actually going back to Solzhenitsyn, something he said, uh, you know, let the lie come in the world, but not through me. The other type of courage is what the, uh, the cowardly lion goes through. You know, first he's all bluster. He's, you know, he says, I'll fight you with one paw tied behind my back. I'll fight you standing on one foot. I'll fight you with my eyes closed. And then Dorothy just kind of boops him on the nose or whatever. And then he, <laughs> He recoils. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, an internet, uh, an internet comment section. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Once again, predicting social media and, and online trolling and all of that. But, you know, he does learn true courage by, you know, going to the witch's castle and getting her broom and, and fighting through all the flying monkeys and, um, and even standing up to the, the wizard who was not so nice of a wizard as it turned out which we'll get into it in a little bit, but he stuck with Dorothy the whole time. And the way that I, I really saw this in Nicole's life was, um, and I'm going to quote a few things here that I, I said at her, her burial and, and what we've written in her obituary was that she was a fighter until the end. Uh, she said to both Wilson's disease and cancer, I'll fight you both together if you want, <laughs> like the lion. Um, she had to fight through so many different battles to, to graduate on time, to go to college, 
to live each day with purpose. I mean, she was confined to a bed, to a home, and lived with my mom for the last 20 years. She wasn't able to complete college. She went all the way to California and had to move all the way back. She had to fight just to just to walk around and and be active in uh, the lives of my kids, you know, her her nieces and nephew, and to really not become gloomy. Wilson's also messed with her mind. Uh, it it had a lot of you know psychological effects because basically copper is a is a toxin and it gets into your body and it messes everything up in your body. It's like it short circuits everything. So th- there was about a year and a half when we were both in college. She was in California. I was at Texas A&M. Uh, right around that time is when our grandfather passed away. And, and our grandfather, Pops, really became like a father figure to both of us. This is my mom's dad. I went into his library after he passed, and I found um, this old book from 1908 called The Character of Jesus. It's written by Charles Edward Jefferson. It's a great book. It used to be a great-grandfather's book when he was uh, a Presbyterian minister. And there's this chapter, um, well, so first of all, the, the book has like 30 chapters and it's about each of the virtues of Jesus. You know, so we, we've talked about three virtues, your mind, your heart, your courage, like your, your, your inner strength. And uh, Jefferson's point uh, is that, you know, b- because humans are uh, bipedal, we're, we're symmetrical. And so if, if you ever see someone with a lazy eye or, a, uh, or like a broken nose, or something happened to their ear, or they have maybe, maybe their arm in a sling, or maybe they've lost an arm, or they or they walk uh, pigeon-toed or something. You know, we immediately see physical deformities because of how we're meant to be symmetrical. But what we don't always see are when people have one virtue to the exclusion of another virtue. And so you you can have all the courage in the world. But if you don't have intelligence, then you're going to do really foolish things, right? Reverse that. You could have all the intelligence in the world, know all the right things to do. But if you don't have courage, you're never going to do anything. So you have to have every virtue in balance of every other virtue. Well, guess what? No human has that except Jesus. Jesus had every virtue to its full. He was full of truth and grace. And so in, in chapter 22 of this book, he talks about the courage of Jesus. And, um, you know, you can go get this book on Kindle. Um, he talks about, you know, we, we think of courage as something in like wartime or something in like a dangerous situation, like a natural disaster. And he says, there's never been a nation which did not admire courageous men. There is not an age known to history in which heroism has not been deemed a lovely and precious thing. So right away, it's like we we all know the value of courage instinctively. Uh, you know, Stephen, a couple episodes ago, you talked about the real man versus the good man, and and I I think some of this comes into play here about how you you need courage, but not to the exclusion of other virtues. Otherwise, it becomes this toxic version or whatever, if you want to call it that. There's also a, such a thing as occasional courage. That's that's courage we see displayed in time of a fire or a flood or a great wreck. But the courage of Jesus of Nazareth was the courage of the quiet and commonplace days, courage that had to be manifested hour by hour along the dusty road when there was nothing to heat the blood or stir the mind to lofty moods. The story of Jesus' life is the most heroic record ever written, and any man who wishes to increase the bravery of his heart must read this book day and night, end quote. So the reason I I chose this to kind of memorialize Nicole is that she had to fight those daily quiet battles just in obscurity. 
because her life choices were so limited and you know she didn't give up you know she really did fight i mean she was playing duolingo till the very end with brain cancer the the book talks about jesus marching alone hour by hour and that's very much what nicole did i love that in the book courage is the is the final thing that a character goes after and it's like how c.s lewis said it really is the fundamental virtue that if you don't have courage you're, you're not going to develop the other virtues you're not going to pursue the other things in your life zach i can only speak for myself as well as uh, faithful listeners that i'm sure everyone out there would be thinking about similar examples not just in fiction but among the people they know loved ones uh, family members parents uh, any kind of relatives or friends who have exemplified those virtues and something that is very wonderful is that we see even these virtues reflected in non-believers which shouldn't surprise us uh, Jesus had some really good things to say about non-believers doing good things. That doesn't mean they're secretly Christians deep down, like just like L. Frank Baum. We don't, you know, canonize him as a Christian just because he wrote uh, a really great uh, fantasy series about uh, 120 years ago. God gifted him the ability to write that series, to have uh, these imaginations for worlds that don't exist. And of course, living in uh, America at about the turn of the 20th century, he would have been absorbing some of these ideas from the culture around him, uh, which, by the way, is one of the better arguments for cultural Christianity is you get better stories even from the non-Christians. And yet, as I said earlier, like it behooves the person who truly believes in these things, who believes there's something better around the bend and all of this, like we must then ask, wait a minute, if I have this courage, like this doesn't make rational sense compared to the other things I believe. Like, where is this gift coming from? I need to find the capital P person or the entity or whomever who has given me this gift. Like, why do I feel such love and affection for family and friends or even pets and animals? Like, where does that come from? Uh, why is it important to have a sound mind you know, if we just believe that the mind has evolved and therefore we can't even be certain that our thinking is accurate in the first place? All of those things only make sense within a Christian worldview. But even those who disagree with the Christian worldview, it is a great blessing to us uh, that people still believe that these are good things to pursue. And that even if we're not pursuing them deep down, we do kind of believe that. And it's uh, to our shame then when we ignore these calls. But it is wonderful then to see, even after her passing, uh, that Nicole has exemplified these and has been such a great blessing uh, to you and your family, despite all the suffering that she endured. So I, I mentioned Nicole did come to faith earlier this year, and she and Naomi had a lot of conversations about this. And Nicole really felt the love of God through the prayers people were giving for her. So I, I just want to thank everyone that prayed for her because that made such a difference to her. And as I mentioned, you know, Nicole and I grew up brother, sister, we, we fought like cats and dogs a lot. And we, we fought over faith and apologetics uh, my college years, I was way overzealous and I, I didn't really always have love and how I would try to talk about things. And, and at some point, Naomi, just with her very gentle spirit, stepped in and, and really just started explaining things better than I could. And, and she and Nicole were, had very lengthy conversations. And, uh, and then in March, Nicole took that final step and, and trusted Christ. And she said, you know, this really was God's plan. Everything I've gone through, um, that was her she, I mean, she said that directly to Naomi. This was God's plan. She said that in her last day of radiation. And she really could feel God in, in charge of everything and, and really feel God's love for her. 
And I sent her this verse shortly after that. It's a uh, graphic we'll put on the uh, show notes page. It's the King James version of 2 Timothy 1.7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And it's got the little silhouettes of the lion, the tin man, and the scarecrow next to each of those power, love, and sound mind. And yeah, and, and power in this case, like you said, Steve, is not simply you know political power or whatever control over other people. It's, it's the power to do the right thing. It's the, the power of the Holy Spirit to live out these virtues in your life. I sent this verse to Nicole and she, she loved it. And she, uh, she was really, thought it was really cool. But here's sort of the tie-in between this verse beyond just the superficial, uh, you know, nice graphic that someone made. Dorothy goes in search of a land of, you know, somewhere better. And then when she gets to the Emerald City and, and finds the wizard and finds he's really not all he, he was made out to be, she's then told by Glinda, well, just click your heels together three times. You, you've had everything you needed this whole time with the ruby slippers. And okay, so funny side note, our older two kids were in a uh, musical theater production of The Wizard of Oz just the May in this year. In fact, that was uh, one of the last two times Nicole was able to leave the house and, and go do something. And in fact, she really fought to be there. She was in the hospital when they started this production. And she told the doctor, I'm leaving the hospital tomorrow to go see my nieces in this play. My, my oldest daughter was the Wicked Witch. My middle daughter was the captain of the Flying Monkeys. And so this meant the world to Nicole to go see them in this play. And it was a really, really special moment for us. But in the play, there was kind of this funny moment where when they meet the wizard and, and then, you know, they find the man behind the curtain, Glinda shows up and says, oh, you've, you've had what you need all along. <laughs> the, the kid that was playing the scarecrow, he kind of laughed. He's like, what? You could have told us that sooner. <laughs> and I think anyone who's seen the movie has kind of had that moment of like, wait, why did they go on this journey? Like, why? What was the point of all of that? If she so the movie can happen. Fair yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. And so there, there were some funny moments like that, that it's like everyone's kind of thought that. But then I, I thought about it. I'm like, well, you know, what, what is the biblical truth here? What is the connection? It's that we have what we need in Christ. We have a spirit of power. We have love. We have a sound mind. Yes, we need to go to we need to go to school. Yes, we need to go and develop other professional skills. And yes, we can always learn from other people, but we do have what we need. The gospel is sufficient for the Christian to develop us. And we, we don't have to go out into you know, the world necessarily to go in search of the things that we already have in Christ. That, that's kind of my thought there is that you know, Dorothy was given those ruby slippers at the very beginning, and those ended up being the key to her returning home. But the journey that she went on also taught her that home is a better place than some magical land that you, you hope will solve all your problems. And I, I think there is a lesson there too for the Christian is that we, we live in a wonderful world that, that God has created. And sometimes we can, I have to, I'm trying to split the difference here, but like, you know, God wants us to enjoy the world, but, but also we shouldn't have a love for worldly things or worldliness. If we love the world, we can't love God, basically. And, you know, it says in 1 John, but he's talking there more about the worldly systems, basically idols. But if we, if we love creation more than the creator, then we're missing the point. 
because we, we have the creator within us already if we know him. And so we, we have what we need and we don't have to go in search of it, but going in search of things reveals that to us even more clearly sometimes. And I think that's what Dorothy's journey symbolizes. Part of our mission is to find the best stories that we can love uh, that help uh, give us uh, that spirit, uh, according to the Holy Spirit, of a power and love and a sound mind. And I've mentioned already the Koenig's Fire book uh, that we're going to explore as our next uh, Lorehaven book quest. Uh, Make sure you join in, not too late, uh, to keep up the conversation, especially if you have the book. We'll have that link in our show notes for our upcoming uh, book quest. And we're already planning book quests uh, going into early 2024. Even if you don't get on with this one, there will be another book that you enjoy. I could go ahead and give away one right now. I'll probably be doing The Voyage of the Dawn Treader in January. Pretty sure that there's going to be a Narnia book starting out in January. Seems to be an incidental tradition that we've laid down. Uh, after a bit of a break, too, uh, we're also going to be coming out with more articles and reviews at lorehaven.com. Uh, make sure you subscribe free and get those notifications. You can also follow us on all the socials. Just look for Lorehaven on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, uh, join the Lorehaven Guild. The only way to do that is by subscribing free. And then you get your invitation code to join us uh, on our castle in the cloud. Well, we've got a few blinking messages over here in the comm station. And, uh, but first I want to say to our listener, as I said at the beginning, if you have read the Wizard of Oz books, even if you just read the first one, I'd really love to hear from you with your thoughts on these books. And to all of our listeners, you know, we want to know what real or fictional stories you love that feature the virtues of intelligence, love, and, and courage. So send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com. Well, we've got a comment here on our YouTube page for episode 178, which was, should we weaponize fantastical stories to own the libs? And we had a comment here from Khalil who wrote, quote, we need vulnerable writers who weave stories about how hard it is to do the right thing and how easy it is to succumb to the wrong desires of our hearts. Also, don't write good endings all the time because this world is not like that, end quote. Um, Khalil, I totally agree with that. I I love stories like that where there's that inner struggle to just get along, go along, and just do the easy thing, but a character choosing to do the hard thing because it's the right thing. And I do agree with you about stories with tragic endings. We we need some of those sometimes. I mean, my, my favorite story growing up was The Empire Strikes Back. Quite a bit of a downer. My mom did not like that movie, so... Sorry, mom, if you're listening, <laughs> but I really liked it because it, it does reflect sort of a reality about the world that you don't always win every battle. You might eventually win the war, but you know, I was thinking about that movie, Steven, there's almost no victories at all. And the empire strikes back. The rebels lose almost every single battle they're in. I mean, they get the millennium Falcon working. That's about it. And they escape with their lives, but they lose Han, you know? So there's, there are those kind of bittersweet tragic endings, but there can still be hope in the midst of that. And I, I think that's, you know, for the Christian, I think we always got to have hope. Just like with Somewhere Over the Rainbow, there, there's that thread of hope woven throughout it. But yeah, I, I think we do have to show the real tragedies that, that happen to people. Zach, Empire Strikes Back, they would have won every single battle if Ray had been there. Oh, just a complete uh, overpowered uh, girl boss. Well, at least that's the criticism. I would point out, though, that Empire Strikes Back is not the ending of the story. It's not a True. standalone story. It's uh, It's got a sequel, which does end more happily and yet also with tragedy. I would point out, though, uh, with the point uh, that we need to have more stories that end tragically uh, because the real world is not like that. 
Well, at the same time, in the real world, a lot of people who enjoy stories enjoy stories that end more happily. And there's a reason for that, because we have that longing for the Emerald City and something better over the rainbow. So maybe ask why, despite all the tragedy in our lives, uh, we insist on telling ourselves these beautiful lies, because ultimately in Christ, they are not deceptive lies. They are true. I appreciate uh, that comment for sure. I also appreciate the comments. I'm sure there's going to be a whole slew of them uh, that remark that I incorrectly said before that the Wizard of Oz movie released in 1938. Uh, Zach got the year correct. It's 1939. <laughs> so whether you're a fan or enemy, do let us know. Email uh, podcast at lorehaven.com, all of that stuff. Uh, we did get a comment on the BookQuest page for Koenig's Fire 2 from a fellow named Richard New. He was not a fan of our upcoming uh, BookQuest selection for Koenig's Fire. He said, this was a seriously evil story, major creepy, and I did not enjoy it. I think I, I read that more charitably and like, okay, it was a major creepy story and he didn't enjoy it. I would not at all agree uh, that that meant the story was seriously evil. It depends on the ending. Uh, depends on knowing that you're not supposed to stop, you know, at page 200 when the bad guys are winning and the Nazis are victorious. Read all the way to the end. How does the story finish? A tragic story with a lot of creepy creatures and it is not necessarily evil. Uh, a reader named Kat replied there and she said, it deals with a very evil time in history, that's for sure. Sorry to hear you didn't enjoy it. So much has happened over the last few years that I'm looking forward to rereading it in the light of big shifts in culture and governance. Great response there. Uh, the book was written in 2009, or published rather, in uh, 2009, and then it actually won an award in 2010. I was very glad that it did. I had to reply to that reader myself, and I said, as our review notes, the story does include portrayals of evil as well as speculative creepery, such as the fictional Pflanzenkrigerin, I butchered the German there, I don't care, <laughs> or plant men. Yet the story itself is no more guilty of these pictures of evil than our true God is for allowing evil into his real world. In fact, that's a major theme of the novel itself, ex malo bonum, out of evil good. Find books that will show evil accurately, or at least uh, pull off the bluff, and then end with at least uh, a beckoning towards the final victory that Christ is going to bring to this very earth over all of the sin and death and suffering and separation. Next on Fantastical Truth, well, speaking of books that people don't like, we have a special occasion coming up in October that people have made up. No, it's not Halloween. It's been called Banned Books Week. Dun, dun, dun. Did you hear my scare quotes there? Well, some of these books that people are trying to ban sometimes are scary, and yet uh, some people think that you'll be so happily scared like a fun haunted house by hearing that these books are banned that you'll want to buy every single one of them and think so poorly of the people who are trying to ban them, those wascally people. Well, we do have questions about this trope, uh, starting with this questions. If some books really are horrible, and we all agree there are some horrible books out there, is this really a matter of whether these books should be banned? or who should ban them from what kinds of readers and why going to be a fascinating discussion on our next episode. Meanwhile, you may not have known much about the wizard of Oz other than the 1939 movie, or maybe you're a fan of those books by L Frank Baum. The classic fantasy has given us so much more fantasy portal and otherwise but as we enjoy these stories, let's enjoy the virtues that they do reflect and yet not stop at the very beginning of that yellow brick road. Let's follow those virtues all the way to the end and look for that shining golden city that exists in our real world's future as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth. <laughs>